0: Let's get to our sermon today. It comes from Nehemiah 12. We are almost done. I think there's one more chapter, if I'm not mistaken, of Nehemiah, okay? Uh, and we are going to read this whole chapter once again. Uh, Nehemiah 12. The Word of God reads, These were the priests and Levites who returned with Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malak, Hattush, Shechaniah, Reham, Merimoth, Edo, Ginnathon, Abijah, Mijamin, Moadiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the leaders of the priests and their associates in the days of Joshua. The Levites were Jeshua, Binui, Kadmiel, Sherabiah, Judah, and also Mattaniah, who together with his associates was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. Bakbukiah and Unni, their associates, stood opposite them in the services. Joshua was the father of Joachim, Joachim the father of Eliashib, Eliashib the father of Joada, Joada the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Jadua. In the days of Joachim, these were the heads of the priestly families, of Sariah's family Meriah and Jeremiah's Hananiah, of Ezra's Meshulam, of Amamariah's Jehohanan, of Moloch's Jonathan, of Shekiniah's Joseph, of Haram's Adna, of Merimoth's Helkai; of Edo's Zechariah, of Ginnathon's Meshulam, of Abijah's Zachary; of Miniamin's and of Modiah's Piltai, of Bilga's Shemua, of Shemaiah's Jehonathan, of Joyarib's Matani, of Jediah's Uzi, of Salu's Kalai, of Amuk's Eber, of Hilkiah's Hashabiah, of Jed- of Jediah's Nethaniel, Nethanel, the family heads of the Levites in the days of Eliashib, Joaida, Jehanan, and Jedua, as well as those of the priests, were recorded in the reign of Darius the Persian. The family heads among the descendants of Levi up to the time of Jehanan, son of Eliashib, were recorded in the book of the Annals. And the leaders of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, Jeshua, son of Kadmiel, and their associates, who stood opposite them to give praise and thanksgiving, one section responding to the other as prescribed by David, the man of God. Metaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulan, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers who guarded the storerooms at the gates. They served in the days of Joachim, Joachim son of Joshua, the son of Josadak, and in the days of ne- Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law. Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the vis- villages of the Netophathites. But from Beth Gilgal and from the area of, of Geba and Asmaveth, from the, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on the top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate, Hoshea and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, the son, and his associates: Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathaniel, Judah. With, and Hanani with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. Over the gate of Ephraim, the the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard they stopped. The two choirs then gave thanks, that gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eli, Eliakim, Maaseiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, I, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with their trumpets, and also. Maasea Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jeho'anan, Jehoanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choir sang under the direction of Jez- Jezrahiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that t- at that time men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions first fruits and tithes from the fields around the towns they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the levites for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and levites they performed the service of their god and the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there, were, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set, a por- set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that amidst all the names and amidst all this whole story, yet somehow you find ways to speak to us in 2022. And so, God, we ask that your voice can you know, continually not only be heard, but heard loudly, heard powerfully within our hearts so that we might truly respond as your people and be your people in our day and age today. We thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that was a very difficult chapter to read. Okay, uh, But once again, I read it because uh, a verse that has names in it to me is just as important as John 3.16. Right? If it's in the scripture, there's a reason why. And I may not understand it today, but I still read it because I honor that God knows why it's in there. Sometimes if I don't. So I do. Anyway, there, let's get to our message. You know, there are certain moments in life where you realize, man, you know, we need to throw a party. Am I right? Right, There are just times you got to throw a party. When you get married, you throw a party, right? Those parties are pretty big, right? You know, and there's other times where you throw a party, too. Maybe when you graduate high school, do you throw a party? Yeah, some people throw a party. When you turn 21, yes, you know, we throw a party. You know, when you graduate your master's or you get your PhD, you should throw a party. You might be the only one that rocks up to that PhD party, but you should throw a party because that's like torture. You should throw a party for yourself. It's absolutely awesome. When you buy your first house, you should throw a party. When the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, you definitely take a week off of work. You know, you don't rock up on Sundays even, I'm kidding, and you throw a party. And it's absolutely awesome. Whether, Whether the party's been planned for a long time or it's absolutely impromptu, there's nobody that doesn't like a party, am I right? Yes, I am right, okay? Everybody loves a party. And parties are really necessary. And the reason why parties are necessary is because uh, parties remind us that life is a gift. And there are moments in life that really are true gifts that make us feel great. And whether the party is the result of something amazing that happens, and sometimes parties happen because of tragedies, all those contribute to reminding us that life itself is a gift. Every day that we have is a gift every day that we've been given, the things and the people around us that we have to celebrate are things that God has given us to celebrate. And it's absolutely appropriate to celebrate those things together. That's actually what's happening within our passage today. You know, Nehemiah 8, they read the word. Nehemiah 9, after hearing the word, they all repent. Nehemiah 10, they give themselves and commit themselves to be his people. Nehemiah 11, They chose the people, selected the people who are going to stay in Jerusalem, so that everybody can go farm, you know, outside of Jerusalem. We finally get to Nehemiah twelve, and the first thing they say is, "Now that everything has been established, the whole plan—coming here, building the wall, building the city, choosing the people—everything's done." And so they say, "I think we should throw a party," and that's what Nehemiah twelve is about. And so they decide to party. It's absolutely huge. They say, "Everybody, come back. We're just going to party." and they hold nothing back, and it's absolutely beautiful. The whole town gathers, they bring in all these singers, all these priests, and they tell them all to bring their instruments. And then what's really interesting though, you know, I don't know if you guys do this at your 21, 21st birthday, I don't know if you do this when you graduate uni or whatever it is, but the first thing they did at that party was they purified themselves. Anyone ever purify themselves at a party before you start the party? No right? Because the reason why they purified themselves was very, very simple. That part, what they were saying is, this party, we're here to celebrate the wall in the city. But really, this party is going to be a worship service. This party, we're here to celebrate the God that gave us the city, the God that gave us the wall. The God that provided all these things for us and protected us from all of our enemies. And so what they were really there to do was to celebrate the God that gave them everything that they saw. And then in verse 31 to 43, we read that the whole, all of Israel was divided into two groups. One group uh, sang and played instruments on one side of the wall and went all the way around, met at the temple. The other group, the other half, did the same thing, sang around the wall, and they all converged. At the temple, so what do these guys? What do these two groups do when they convert at the temple? Verse forty-three. It says, "And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The men and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What did these guys do? They sacrificed animals. They praised God. They sang songs. They celebrated each other, and they just enjoy being in God's presence with one." another. This might be one of the most joyous worship service that you're going to read in all of scripture in Nehemiah 12. And the best part is in that verse, verse 43, it says God made that all happen, right? What do they do right afterwards in verse 44 to 47? They have this party. It's all because of God. God makes everyone joyful. They're like screaming at the top of their lungs everywhere for miles and kilometers around can hear Jerusalem. Huge party. What did they decide to do right after the party was over? Verse 44 to 47. They chose people to be responsible for the offerings to the temple, right? And generations gathered and gave sacrificially for the work of the church. That's Nehemiah 12, okay? So the pic- that's the picture of Nehemiah 12. I just want to make one point about this particular chapter, and then I want to give you a few practical applications as a result, okay? Um, The passage is a very simple one. The people dedicated this one whole day to celebrating all that God had done. You know, they came to dedicate a wall, but they were really there to celebrate God's provision, God's protection, and God's commitment to them. And this is the really important part. If you read it in detail, It really isn't about what God had just done and accomplished. Yes, it was partly because of that. But what they were really focused upon was they were really focused upon what God was going to do with them as they looked towards their future. And that's the most important part of this passage. They realized, looking back, that no matter how much the Jews and the Israelites had been unfaithful to God, no matter how much they may have failed and disobeyed God over the years, God's covenant and promise to them had never changed. He was always faithful to them. He was always going to be committed to them. He was always going to love them and care for them as their father. And this wall and this city proved that. Right? And so they look backwards, and they're like, oh my gosh, God has always kept his promise to us, and he will always commit his promise to us, or he will always keep his promise to us, and that really is the heart behind the party. It's a party that looks forward and says, because God has been so faithful in, my, in our lives for hundreds and thousands of years, we can now party because we can be confident that God will always be with us in the future, that God will never break his covenant with us, and will always be, unf- even if we're unfaithful tomorrow, he will always be faithful to us. That is the heart of this party. So they celebrate that with no holds barred. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thrown a party because you knew God was faithful to you, right? Right? We here in 2022, we don't know how to party. The moment we get touched by God and we we get saved, you know what we do? We go to a prayer meeting and pray by ourselves with other people, which is great. You should throw a party, right? You should throw a party, inviting everybody over and go crazy and tell them, why are we doing this? Because I know in my future, God will always be faithful to me, regardless if I'm faithful to him. You know what I'm saying? Declare how great God is. That's 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 a... That's a that's a basis of celebration every single day for our lives. That's why, no, that's why the Bible says over and over again that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what you do, no matter what life looks like, no matter what the world looks like, the joy of the Lord can always be your strength because God will always keep his covenant with his people, right? That's what's happening in our passage today. So these Israelites, realizing God's commitment to them, what did they do in return, verses 44 to 47? they dedicated themselves fully to him that's what they do how they fully gave themselves to the work of the temple that's it and the reason why they did it was very very simple you know well, how they did it was clearly described in the rest of the chapter uh, they gave themselves financially, they gave, um, they gave themselves financially to the work of the temple, and especially to the workers of the temple, and that's actually very significant because, once again, we said last week that the Israelites were very poor. They didn't have very much, right? They were farmers, and most families had no job or no income if they were lived in Jerusalem. But to be that generous and to commit themselves to be that generous to the work of the church really meant one thing, and this is the one thing that it meant to them that they prioritized this. Well, here we go. They radically believed that what guaranteed their future with God, what actually guaranteed God to remain central within their lives and within their faith community, what keeps God present and intimate in our lives today is what? Their personal sacrificial commitment to the church. It's huge, okay. What keeps God central, not only in your life but in the church, is your personal sacrificial commitment to the church. Do you guys like where this message is going? (laughs) Can you sense it? But it's true. They believe they were. They had no money, but they were willing to be generous to the church. They had no. They had. They had to like work for crops, sell crops, do all this kind of stuff. But they still spend time worshiping in the temple. Why? It's because they had this radical belief that if we want God to stay with us, if we want God to be an intimate part of our faith community, then each one of us has to personally, sacrificially, be committed to the work of the temple. Isn't that amazing? Right? When God finds people who are willing to give all of themselves together for his worship, he loves being there. He loves blessing them. And the thing is, nothing has changed from like thousands of years ago, and this when this story took place, till today, nothing has changed. The way God remains central within our hearts and within our church for our future will be exactly the same. It is through your sacrificial, sacrificial worship and commitment to the church. You know, I've had the pro, I've had the privilege of being a part of very powerful churches, a few very powerful churches within my life. And when I say powerful, I mean like when Sunday rock comes around, God rocks up, right? You, 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 you know what I'm talking about. And it's, it was absolutely wonderful. The presence of God would just be there at every single meeting that we had. And you know what the common thing that they all had? What they all had in common was very, very simple. There were people, actually majority of the people who went to these churches, gave themselves sacrificially to serve each other in the church. And that was the common thing that they had people gave their time, people gave their money, people gave their resources, people gave up other personal opportunities they may have had in their personal lives in order to have more of God with each other. All right? It's a totally different mentality that they had. And if we want our church to have that as well, I think we need to adopt the exact same mentality. You know, um, When I was younger, uh, and I was a non-Christian. I had this friend whose grandmother was always at church all the time, and I used to make fun of him all the time. I said, "Hey, you know, your grandmother really doesn't love you." And he'd be like, "Why? Because she's always at church. She'd rather be at church than be with you, taking care of you, you know." And I used to always make fun of him. But now I regret it because now, when I think about that story, I realized this grandmother loved being at church not only because she loved Jesus, because she was probably it's because she was probably driven with this conviction that when I contribute sacrificially to my church. My church people can have more of God. Wow. You know, now it makes sense to me, right? You know, I used to think people were crazy to give so much money to the church. I used to always think, wow, your pastor must be a great salesman to get you to donate that much money above your your offerings, right? And I used to think people were absolutely crazy. But now I get it. I get it. The reason why people give thousands, if not tens, tens of thousands, above their offerings each year to the church is because, not only because they love God. But it's because they want God to continue his work here, not just for them, but for everybody that rocks up. You know, it's a different mentality that people have. And I'm sure some of you have seen all that stuff firsthand within your lives. And you probably ask the exact same question. Why do you do that? But it's because they're driven by a different conviction. It's because they have a different vision for their future that they want to see, not only within their lives, but especially within your lives. As well. There are people who serve the church extraordinarily today, sacrificing income, friends, family, and time to do so. And to many people, it might be absolutely ridiculous, but for those who know, it's absolutely beautiful. Because what these people are really declaring is exactly what these Jews were declaring in Hebrews 12. That God is absolutely worthy of our everything. And today, in today's days, Jesus Christ is absolutely worthy of our everything. He deserves our all. And whenever God sees that in his people, in the local church, guess where he loves rocking up? He loves being there. That's where he wants to dwell. That's where he wants to bless. That's where he wants to be. That church becomes a blessed place, a place covered by his joyful approval, and we can be that church. So here's the first application. If you want to see God remain central to our church and in our hearts, won't you consider giving yourself sacrificially to our ministry? That's the first challenge. What do I mean by that? Sacrifice a weeknight, to join a CG, and to build each other's faith together, right? Sacrifice a Friday night to come pray with us at church. Maybe you come to zero. Choose once a month, twice a month, three times a month. You know, you don't have to do all four weeks of every month unless you are hardcore. You know, sacrifice your time to join a ministry and help out. You know, anyone can do that. Join a ministry and help out. Sacrifice yourself for that. Sacrifice your money. Here we go, we'll get sensitive. Sacrifice your money to help fund the things that go on in this ministry or to help people who really need it in our ministry. There are people in need. What I'll try to do, my commitment as your pastor, is I'll try to make sure that all these things you volunteer for hopefully will be run according to Scripture and hopefully will be run in a way that honors God. But the bottom line is, I'm asking you to take another step in your faith commitment here at this particular ministry. That's what I'm asking you to do. And the reason why is because not only do I want you to grow personally, but I believe it is only when more people give themselves sacrificially to our ministry that God finds this place, the place he really wants to be. Right? Yes, he loves you. He always wants to be with you. He wants to be with us. But the lesson of our passage today is if we want the blessings of God to continue with us going forward, it really does take, it takes the mutual sacrificial commitment of each one of us to each other. So that's what I'm asking. Is that, you guys get that? Are you guys uncomfortable? Hopefully not. Hopefully you realize, oh yeah, that's what I want to do, you know. After the second lockdown, I've had the, uh, I had the honor of meeting this one couple and this one couple is a couple that just gets it right they just know what faith is about so this is what they were sharing with me they were saying that during the lockdown it was really really hard for them to grow as a couple personally and as a couple and the reason why is because they you know they were doing the online services like just like all of us were but they felt like after like one or two weeks dude it was just you can't grow and, the re- and it's true, you can't, I don't think you can really grow through online services because true growth can only come in the context, I think, of a true faith com- like community, where we're meeting together, sacrificially, like, like investing in each other's lives, but that doesn't happen on YouTube. And so that's what, the- and one day, like in many, like two, three months later, they, I took an honest look at their faith and their faith as a couple, and they realized that it took a nosedive. It wasn't like not bad, it was bad. You know, they were in a very bad place. Um, and so when the opportunity came for church to meet back in person, instead of doing what everyone else did, which is kind of like slowly come back, let's see if it's safe and, you know, if the weather's okay, you know, maybe I'll rock up to church. They didn't do that. They realized, hey, if we're going to get our faith back on track to where we want it to be and where we need it to be for God, let's make a hard commitment. And so this is the hard commitment they made. They said, no matter what, we will always go to church. No matter how we feel, no matter matter what the weather is, no matter what circumstances is, no matter what our in-laws are yapping at us for, we are going to rock up to church, no matter what. And they said, because our faith is in such a bad place, Same with our small group commitments to their small and in their church and their small group. They said, no matter what, because we know we miss what we miss the most is faith community, and this is what we need the most to grow. We will never miss one week of well, I'll call it CG. We'll never miss one week. So, no matter how they felt, no matter what the weather was like, they always rocked up every week to church on Sunday. And every CG. Um, and because of that one simple commitment, they found their faith skyrocketing. They found their faith, and they found themselves enjoying God much more powerfully. And, what, and it, was, it wasn't just them, but they realized as they challenged others, shared that with others, and other people made that similar commitment in their church as well, that everyone else's faith was also growing very very powerfully but the thing is in light of nehemiah chapter 12 to me it makes perfect sense doesn't it right when we when we read what we read today because it takes the firm commitment on our part to the ministry to the church in order for us our corporate worship in Christ to grow it takes our personal commitment to the church in order for our corporate growth to happen and that's what was absolutely beautiful about their story. You know, I know so many people and so many families who have still never come back to church. Not our church, but in other churches. They still never came back to church after the second lockdown, right? And I know no matter what, no matter what they say, their faith is not in a good place. Because true faith and true faith growth can only grow in the context of true community, right? But the thing is, I get it. And I bet other, you guys probably get it too, right? It's so much easier quote-unquote, do church online, right? It's so much easier to, like, watch that YouTube video of FLM service when I want to at 1 a.m., rather than rocking up here at 1 30 p.m. physically. I get it, you know? It's so much easier to do church the way we want it to do, and maybe for some of us, we even, you know, we start thinking stuff like this, you know? You know, we even say, even on Sundays, you know, I'll go to church if I feel like it, I'll go to church if the weather's okay. I mean, what does it really matter, right? Because church is all about that sermon, isn't it? I mean, I can sing songs, whatever, but church is all about that sermon. I can listen to that sermon. I can listen to that podcast anytime I want to. But here we go. Whenever you reduce church, this holy, transformative God play, God here present meeting. Whenever we reduce reduce church down to just the meeting, or just the teaching, or just the sermon or just singing three or four songs, whenever we do that kind of reduction, um, it it should be a red flag, basically telling you that you're not thinking about God at all. You're just thinking about something that some man is doing, right? It also should tell you that you're not thinking about the faith community that you're a part of at all, and you're not concerned about their growth as well right? Because it really, it affects us all. And so, of course, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that maybe your faith has taken a nosedive, which it probably will if you continue to think like that, over many weeks or months, right? And if that's happening, if, that, if a lot of that stuff is happening within the church, your church will take a nosedive as well. That's why a lot of churches literally closed down after the second lockdown. So sad, you know? I say all this, to address and challenge the current ethos of the church today post covid. You know, in a world that's all about our convenience, our passage today says that in order for our faith to grow and for our or, or and for God to remain central within our church, we must be sacrificially and stubbornly committed to God and to one another. So, the simple commitment I want To ask you to make is very very clear, hopefully very simple. The, The example I gave of that couple, making a hard commitment. Will you make that hard commitment? That's all I'm asking. Make a hard commitment to your personal worship of God. Make a hard commitment to your personal commitment to love others. That is how you will grow in Christ. That is how you will grow others in Christ. Will you please make an unwavering commitment to our church and to CG? Will you stubbornly and sacrificially commit to being true worshipers of God and lovers of each other so that our corporate interactions with Christ can become stronger and more intimate? This is what's on the table. This is what is on Line. We need you to do that. I need you to do that. You need other people to do that for you. Will you please do that? And just address a parallel issue. I'm going to be a little bit more challenging here. Um, Now that you know what it takes for God to remain central and for us to grow together, will you please stop waiting for others to make church better for you? Will you please stop waiting for other people to make church better for you? Okay? It's tough. And what I mean by that is simple. There are people who go to church and just expect... To be served. They expect church to be like that for them and to make them happy in this way or to serve them in this way. They expect other people in the church to treat them a certain way or they expect the church to operate in a better way. And And they walk, up, they walk home or they get in their cars and they're like, nah. and, they, and they have all these complaints about church, right? And I get it. I get it. I, you know, as a church leader, I understand all that stuff. But instead of taking an active step to identify the weaknesses of church because every church has weaknesses. You know, all we do is point out those things and we judge those things. And when that is what, if if that's what characterizes your church journey, there's no way you're going to grow. You're going to one day end up out of church. right? But the saddest part of all that is you totally miss what church is all about. And it wasn't, it's not an organization that's here to serve you better. But it's an organization that helps all of us grow to know Christ intimately and powerfully when we all love him and serve each other with our lives. That's what we're getting at today. So um, ultimately, can I ask you to initially take a healthy step, not only for yourself, but for our church by just simply making church about the worship of God for your life first? I believe if you do, everything will just get better, okay? Um, There's one more issue that our passage addresses that I want to point out. This is the last one, and that's found in verse 47. It says this, So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. There's one phrase that I want to emphasize in this verse, and it's the same phrase that's being emphasized by the author here, and that phrase is all Israel. The point of this verse and the way, the way he ends this whole chapter is Nehemiah is basically saying all of Israel was united in the mutual commitment to see God be an intimate part of their future all of Israel. And so then he says, it's not just all Israel. To be very clear, from the days of Zerubbabel to the days of Nehemiah, he points out two different groups of people that existed at that time. The thing is this, there were a hundred years that separate the people of Zerubbabel and the people of Nehemiah. But yet, people separated by a hundred years, which is what, like two or three generations, still were united in the worship, in the mutual same mission Uh, to worship God and to keep God central in their faith community. Why do I point that out? I point that out because if people 100 years apart can unite to worship God, so can 18 and 50-year-olds, which is the age span of our ministry, 18-year-olds and 50-year-olds. If they're older, I'll include you as a 50-year-old. Okay, Uh, That's the age range here. If church truly becomes about the worship of God for us all, then we can all be united as one, and it doesn't matter what, ra- what age you are, what race you come from, what background you have, we can all be at one be one. What does that mean practically? It means that age, race and background can never be an excuse, not to worship fully with your brother and sister that's it that's the point it's making and I would love to see that happen here at our church that's all I really want to see you know and what's amazing to me as your pastor I kind of believe it's right around the corner it's not like it's something really hard that we have to try to do that's going to take like 10 years no for some of us it's just flipping a switch for others, it's like maybe I need to work a little bit hard. Maybe I do need to be more committed. I would to be more intentional, but it's God. Do you know how many people you're going to bless by making that intentional change? Amazing, right? To make that happen, however, we just got to do what these guys did. Dedicate yourself to making church about the worship of God stubbornly and sacrificially. Physically come to church, CG. Declare the worthiness of Christ and then show it to others through your love. And care. That's our message today. It's a tough one. It's challenging. It's kind of in your face, but it needs to be because they were absolutely convinced thousands of years ago that the only way God is going to continue to be present with us is if we all come together sacrificially and make a mutual commitment to do that together. And I hope that you do the exact same thing so that we as a ministry can always have the presence of God with us and so that each one of you can grow because your brother and sister next to you. Is giving their life for that. I hope we can all be that. I just want to end our message today with this song that I remember. I, it reminded this whole message reminded me of a song that I used to sing when I was when I first became a Christian. It's a song that's like thirty years old or something like that, but it's based on Isaiah sixty six, right? And it's a very simple song. There's only there's only a verse and a chorus. The verse is basically God saying, "This is Isaiah sixty six, who's going to build my church?" And the chorus says, "I will." That's it, okay, but that's it. uh, it goes like this: Heaven is my throne, God says, Earth is my footstool, but where's the house that you will build for me? Whom of you will hear the cry of my heart? Where will my resting place be? and what God is saying through all the theological languages, God wants to dwell in our hearts. God wants to be with us. God wants his church to be the place where he rests and enjoys and hangs out with all of us all the time. The chorus says, Here, O Lord, have I prepared for you a home. Long have I desired for you to dwell. Here, O Lord, have I prepared a resting place. Here, O Lord, I wait for you alone. And the response is simply, here I am. There's nothing more that I want than to be with you and with my brothers and sisters in your church forever. That's the whole song. I pray that we can all respond with the same desire. Let's become sacrificial worshipers that long for the continued presence of God in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. I know our message today might have been personally like challenging. I hope it was. But can I say something? It's not a common thing, I think, in 2022 in the Western church where you rock up to a place where people want to worship God genuinely and where the presence of God genuinely is. But I believe our church is one of those places. But I don't want to ever take that for granted. I don't want to let down my guard. I want to see God move more here. I want to see God transform lives more powerfully tomorrow. But in order for that to happen... It's not just the pastor that has to be crazy on this pulpit. It's not just the band or the CG leaders that have to give their all to serve each other. But it does take the members. It takes the personal, sacrificial commitment of members to make their lives a worship to commit themselves to the love and care of their brother and sister next to them at church. Whether I know them or not, whether they're 50 years older than me, whether they're from a different race, different background, different language, doesn't matter. We can all be united because we worship the same God and love the same God. And especially if you're in a place where you feel like your faith is taking a nosedive, this is the first step. So I'm inviting you today to take that first step. Don't look at, you don't have to look at yesterday. But I want you to pray today looking at tomorrow. And then I want you to respond to be that man or to be that woman in order for tomorrow to happen. Will you take your faith seriously? And will, will you care for the faith of your brother and sister next to you that much to be that man and to be that woman? I hope so. Let's pray. gonna I'm gonna give an uncomfortable challenge today and I'm not trying to point out people I'm really not but if you're one of those people that kind of like staying in the shadows if you're one of those people that kind of is making this intentional choice to not really get involved can I ask you to change that today I I'm I just We need you. That's it. And we want you. I think that's even greater. And I know the church has a lot of flaws. FLM has a lot of flaws. And there might be really good reasons for you not to commit yourself. But can I ask you to just consider God, Christ, and his presence, not only in your life, but in our lives, Can that vision of tomorrow be greater than the reasons you may have not to give yourself? And because of that reason, will you start giving yourself? Invitation. Why don't we just spend a minute or two praying a little bit more? Can I invite you to do that? Let's pray. last prayer point can we spend some time praying for our leaders if you know pray for your cg leaders your cg co-leaders pray for your officers pray for your pastors um if you don't pray for your leaders can you please do so these guys literally give their lives to serve you they think about you at least every other day or maybe every day hopefully but you know, they, they're, they're people who pray for you. They're people who think about you. They're people who strategize on how to serve you better. They want to see Christ grow in your life. Whether you rock up to CG or not, they still pray for you and think about you. So can we pray for them today? And let's ask God to strengthen them, to comfort them. Let's ask God to anoint them with his presence so that his joy will always be their strength. Let's pray for our leaders today. Let's pray. We praise you and we thank you for all of our servants in our church. We thank you, God, for their heart, not only for you, but for your people. We pray that you would continue to strengthen them, encourage them. Father, may your presence and your joy continually fill their hearts and their life, no matter what circumstances surround them, no matter what they might be going through. Father, may every, every single day of their life anoint them in such a way that they can rejoice that they're your child. And that would be enough. God, I know, I thank you even for the things that you're doing within this ministry. God, we see it like week after week. We see you touching lives, changing lives. We see you bringing people together, giving people a heart not only to love you and to serve you more and to come back to you, but a heart to see that in their brother and sister next to them. God, we pray that you continue to challenge us so that we might hunger after you even more, not not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters next to us. And Father, we pray that through that, use people's sacrificial commitment to the church to build people. And Father, to be that open door so that your presence can do so much more within our lives. God, we thank you for what you're doing. And God, we pray that you continually unite us as one. And Father, help us never to let any barrier get in the way of being one so that this church might always be about your worship so that you would always be central and our greatest joy is that you are. And so God, we pray that you help us every single day. Remind us every single day of what tomorrow really could be and allow that to, allow that faith in your promise to cause us to give ourselves more to you and to each other. We thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.